You are listening to the hottest podcast in the game. This is the Thought Force Podcast. Get ready. It's time to get in the zone. Here's your host, Eddie Salcedo. Play ball. What is up, guys? Welcome in to episode number five of the Thought Force Podcast. And today I have Travis Rogers here. He actually came in the previous episode and talked about how to implement the mental game with players and how to specifically, you know, a step-by-step plan on, you know, how to approach the mental game when it comes to practices, games, before games, after games. So if you have not checked that podcast out, please make sure to to check it out and take note because there's a lot of great info there. But this podcast is mainly geared towards coaches and how to implement that into, you know, the mental game principles and uh, a strong mental game into your program and how to uh, have it be a part of your team culture. So, uh, Travis, thanks for coming on. I'm, I'm excited to, to dive into this part of the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me again, Eddie. Yeah, no problem. Um, as far as coaching goes, I know that, you know, as a coach, Sometimes it can be hard to control your emotions, whether it's in game, in practice, uh, when you when you're sometimes seeing your players and they might not have as much motivation as you you might have into the game. So, what would you tell those coaches in terms of how to how to stick with it and stick with the players that they have on their team? Oh well, you're you're coming at me hard right out of the shoot here. Um, <laughs> I, I think a, a couple things. One what I've tried to develop and talk to coaches about develop, developing through the years is, is focusing on the process, right? We hear that term all the time, but um, you know, I see, I see many coaches kind of riding the highs and lows of a specific player, even a specific game. I think it's ultra important to keep the big picture in mind. Like, are my guys developing? Are they getting better day to day? Are they getting better pitch to pitch? Um, and really relying on that and seeing that. And the other thing is, are, are they having a whole lot of fun? Like how many of these guys are going to the next level or beyond, or is that even their goals? Like, so, so super important to, to get to know the guys. It's kind of off the path of what you, what you asked me, but really, really allowing myself to focus on the development. Are we getting better? Are my guys getting better? Are they having a great time, a great experience? I think helps a lot of coaches to kind of put the, the, the in-game stuff, the, the, the ball that went through my shortstop's legs, not overreacting to that. Um, and also understanding that as coaches, we're setting, setting the bar for what we want our players to think. So if we want them to control what they can control, if we want them to be able to bounce back from, from a, a tough player and error, we have to react properly. We can't react um, by jumping up and down, getting real pissed, overreacting to umpires, um, overreacting to a loss. Like we have to maintain a certain level of composure because that's what our athletes are going to see and, and want to uh, try to abide by and, and realize as well. Right. Let me, let me just, uh, you know, include that me being, you know, having played through youth and high school level baseball as a player, um, 
what your coach, how your coach reacts to your performance or a teammate's performance affects a lot of the stress and pressure put on the, on the players. You know, if, if, a, like you said, if a ball goes through the shortstop's legs and you're the second baseman, but you see that shortstop makes the air and your coach is going nuts and uh, he doesn't have a good response to it. You as a second baseman it, or the third baseman, it heightens the amount of pressure you put on yourself because you know that if you make a, uh, an error after him, you know it's going to be even worse, and you don't want to you don't want to make that error. And having that kind of mentality of oh no, don't hit the ball to me because I don't want to make this next error isn't the right mindset to have as a player. And I think that you know if the ball goes to shortstop's legs and the coach maintains composure. Um, and, and is able to control his emotions better than that as a second or third baseman, you know, you're actually looking forward to make that play more because you know, your coach won't go nuts if you don't make the play. So yeah, I think as a, 100%. as a, as a player myself, I, I've realized that is that coaches have a bigger impact on the game than they actually realize. And, you know, even if you're in the dugout and the fans may, may not be able to see you, the players, you know, some, a lot of the times the, the first person the players look at after, a bad, you know, an error or a strikeout is the coach. So the coach is, is the person that needs to be able to specifically be able to compose themselves and handle themselves, like you said. Really, really true. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's 100% you're dead on. Um, and, and as coaches, we want, we want our players to play relaxed. We want them to play. They, they already have enough anxiety intensity, especially with baseball. We want relaxed feet, relaxed hands, relaxed mind. So how can they do that if they're, if, if they're worried about what their coach might think or their teammates might think? So we try to eliminate that as much as possible, right? Errors are going to happen. They happen at the major league level. Strikeouts are going to happen. How can we re- relieve that stress as much as possible and focusing on the controllables? Like you asked the guy after – were you ready for the baseball? How was your mind? Were you were your feet ready? Were you moving? Whatever it might be to try to help them get better is fantastic. Um, but yeah, not not yelling that, that just makes makes it more uncomfortable and worse for sure. Right. And so diving deeper into that, what are some ways that you know if you're if I'm a coach and I I recognize that you know I I'm not able to compose myself. Uh, sometimes during games or practices, what would be some some tips or steps that you tell those coaches to be able to improve to, at, at that part of their coaching? Awesome. So fantastic. So we talked a lot about um, journaling in, in the last podcast with athletes. I, as a coach, also journal, and I recommend that coaches journal. So it's, again, it's a process, man. I, I mean, I didn't, I'm still working on it. There's times when, when a ball goes through somebody's legs with the bases loaded in the bottom of the seventh, when it's hard not to react, like everybody's upset. Um, But I'll write in a journal before games. This is what I'm trying to work on today. This is what I need to get better at in the mental game. This is what I need to do to support my guys um, the best way that I can support them. And after the game, reflect on it as well. Like, how did I do one piece of that? that that I was thinking about while you were talking is a lot of times we as coaches don't actually recognize when we're having bad body language, just like the players. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've told this story. I'm coaching 
my older son, I think it was that 14 year old baseball, maybe 13. And he let a pitch go by now I'm coaching third base. He lets a pitch go by. Um, and, and he, I could tell his body language, like he didn't respond very well. Like he was down, he was upset. I can't remember if the umpire made a bad call or what it was, but, and you could tell, I mean, the rest of this bat at bat, he really struggled with it. So after the game, I said, Will, I said, you've got to respond better in your at bats. Like if the umpire makes a bad call, it, it doesn't do you any good to respond poorly. And he said, dad, he said, it's really hard because when that happens, I see you put your hand on your knees and you kind of shrug your shoulders and it's obvious that you're upset. And I was like, holy cow. Like I didn't even realize that I was doing that, but that was, mm -hmm. that's something that coaches should be aware of. You can kind of, supervise each other ask coach another coach to keep an eye on you um ask your your wife your husband or your wife to watch from the stands i had one coach tell me that his wife kept a, a notebook and would watch all the coaches during a game and, and note their body language note how they approach kids like did you approach them on their own level take a knee when you were talking to them different things that as coaches we don't we don't recognize um sometimes but Back to your initial question, I think journaling and understanding, um, it's not going to happen overnight, but if you truly believe as a coach that your athletes play the best and are the most motivated and the most relaxed when you're um, doing those same things, when you're being relaxed and not overreacting to a situation and you're writing that stuff down and paying attention to it, you'll get better at it. Right. Right. Yeah, I think they think it's important, right? You have to if you right. don't believe it's important, if you think yelling at the guys is the is the best solution for you, um, you know, it's it's not going to happen. You, you, have exactly. to try to, you have to try to turn that corner. Right. Yeah. And I think I think once you journal it and have it actually somewhere written down and you don't have that pressure put on yourself to, to remember it. I think it is a good place for you to always go back and, you know, always think all the uncontrollables are, you know, I shouldn't worry about, but these are the things that I'm going to get better at today. Like you said, you know, awesome. I'll have, you, the, I'll whether have it's, a notebook in my back pocket when I'm coaching and it, and it doesn't even have to be after the game, right? It could be between innings. Like, Oh, I, I did that poorly. I need to get better at that. Um, right. Or, or on the flip side, like I, walked out to the mound and told the guy a joke and man, it helped. It really helped Alex to relax. Like I got to remember that that may was a difference maker. So having a little tiny red notebook in your back pocket and a pencil is uh, super beneficial. Right. And I think that uh, kind of like we were talking about before the podcast is when you as a coach try, you know, journaling, journaling for yourself and you realize the positive impact it's making, it kind of gives you a, a case study to give to your players and tell them this has been working for me. You should try it out. So actually genuinely trying it yourself and, and want the best for your players by telling them, Hey, you know, when you journal, this is how it's worked for me. This is why I think it'll work for you. And this is why I think you should do it. Um, and I think sharing that with your players after you've done it yourself is a very, very powerful Thing for a lot of coaches uh, absolutely I, I i started journaling with my players well, seven years ago 
um, and journal right along with them, right? So sitting on the bench, we take time before each practice, each game, we write things down and, and I'll pull out my journal and do the same thing, um, same thing afterwards. So, so really showing them that, that I believe it's important is a, is a huge factor um, for sure. Monkey see, monkey do, right? There's, right. and you asked before, like, like stories, I could tell you a million stories of why the journaling has worked really well, but I'll tell you one quick one. So, so my older son, again, this is, he wrestled um, through eighth grade. And as an eighth grader, he was wrestling with the junior varsity high school team. So as a 13 year old, he's wrestling 16, 17 year olds and was really getting, getting whipped pretty much every match at the beginning of the season. And I know nothing about wrestling, so I couldn't help with that, but, but he was uh, an avid journaler. So after each match, he would write down in his journal, you know, um, the things that, that he did well, the things that he thought he should work on. If he didn't know what he should work on, he'd ask a coach that was at the mat, well, what should I work on, coach? And then he'd show up to practice the next day, and, and he'd know what he was supposed to work on. It, it started to develop this process um, where, where he was taking ownership, and that's a big thing, coaches out there. We want the guys to take ownership in their process, um, Ownership leads to motivated athletes. So, so the journaling helps them to own their stuff and they become more and more motivated and that's what we want. So, so he was journaling after matches and show up at practice and knew what to work on. And by his, I think he lost his first 10 or 12 matches. By the 13th match, it started to turn and he started to win some matches. And by the end of the season, um, he won freshman sectionals and went on to win some went to the freshman state tournament and all these different things. And I'm telling you, it was solely because he journaled and knew what he was supposed to work on and started to take ownership in his own process because the other guys were wrestling the same amount as he was. It was two hours after practice every day, right? He wasn't doing anything mm -hmm. different, but his intensity level on it was, was, was totally higher than other people that were just showing up at practice and going through their motions and doing whatever the coaches told them to do. And, and again, one coach for 20 wrestlers, like how much can you do? So um, the, the journaling, I, I mean, I just can't express how, how much it helps the athletes. It helps them to be better teammates. A lot of stuff we'll write in the journal. We'll ask them to write down what kind of teammate are you going to be today? Whatever a coach thinks is important, whatever they value in their program, they can ask the kids to write down. How are you going to clean up the field afterwards? What are you going to do to help the coaches? What are you going to do to help a teammate? Um, what kind of energy are you going to bring to the game today? Anything that they value, they can ask the kids to write down and then afterwards uh, do the same thing. So it, it's, a, right. it's a big difference maker. Yeah, I think that, you know, something you always hear is quality over quantity and I know it sounds cliche but that's that's a true example of how that saying and you know even though you've probably heard it a thousand times in your life uh <laughs> how it can actually make a real big difference if you actually you know take it to heart and apply it but um no the next thing I'd like to dive into is if you're a coach and you, you know the mental game is important for baseball you know baseball is a game where you know what happens between the ears is very, very, very important, arguably more important than any other sport out there. Um, what are ways that coaches can implement this into their practice plans to improve 
uh, the mental games of their players. If they know the mental game is important, but don't necessarily know how to actually bring that to their players to practice. Awesome. So for sure, like, um, again, and, and coaches, like, this is something you have to practice. So we can't just <clears throat> assume guys are going to be mentally tough, be able to overcome mistakes just because we want them to, just because we see the mistake and think, oh, you should be able to overcome this. It's, it's just like practicing ground balls. The only way to get better at it is to practice. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it's not that hard, really. So if you're doing different stations or have different segments of, of, of practice, you throw a couple things into that. We talked about it with the athletes. One is what I call the circle of control. So you're doing hitting stations. You have one hitting station set up where they're working on their process, uh, the circle of control, where they're stepping out of the box. Um, so the circle of control, for those that didn't listen to the athlete podcast, it basically is getting getting people to the best possible mental state for their at-bat. So the circle of control at the plate is they step outside the box. They're asking themselves, are they under control? They take a deep breath. They use a focal point, whatever it might be for them to get their themselves physically and mentally relaxed. Once they're in that situation, they step into the box they commit, so it's the three C's, the circle of control. Outside the box is being under control. Then they step into the box. They commit to their plan. Most coaches have some type of approach that they're using, whether it's hunting fastballs, whether it's um, looking for certain locations. Whatever their plan is, they commit to that plan. And then the last C is to compete, and that's different for different different guys, but it could be a positive thought. It could be – um, see it and hit it. It could be trying to go to kind of this blank place or whatever it might be, but having a station when you're doing your hitting stuff, it could be, even if you're taking BP on the field, the guy that's on deck or in the hole is working through this circle of control outside the box. This is what it looks like inside the box. This is what it looks like. So that's getting them ready for their IBs. It's the same thing with a, a defensive player outside of the circle, am I under control? Am I having positive thoughts? Do I feel good and relaxed? Yes, okay, check, I'm ready to go. I step into my circle. What's my plan here? If a ground ball's hit to me, what am I doing with the ball? And then that last positive thought hit the ball to me, something like that. Pitchers go through the same thing. So when they're throwing their bullpens, they take a couple minutes, they go through their circle of control. Control, commit, compete are the three C's. Um, Love that. So, so easy to take two minutes at practice, defensive pitching, bullpens, just throw it into the practice plan. Don't forget to throw it in the practice plan. The other thing I think the practice that we talked about with athletes is, is the three R's. The three R's is a mistake ritual. Really uh, one of the most, if not the most, one of the most important parts of the mental game. Helping athletes to overcome mistakes, move on to the next pitch, the next inning. And, and as coaches, we all know it's, it's really one of the hardest things for players to, to be able to do. So the three R's is a ritual that a player can go through that will hopefully move them on to that next pitch. So the three R's are recognize, release, and refocus. So the first R, recognize, an athlete being able to recognize when they're having negative thoughts, negative body language, when they're having a hard time staying positive, staying in the present moment. 
Uh, and this takes practice for athletes, and we'll get into here at the, at the tail end of this how we practice this. But again, the first R is to be able to recognize um, when, when we're having negative thoughts. The second R is to be able to release those negative thoughts. So generally, this is some type of physical action. You'll see batter stepping out of the box, grabbing dirt, throwing the dirt down, releasing those negative thoughts. You'll see, see pitchers stepping off the mound, taking their glove off, putting it back on. You'll see players bending over, uh, untying, retying their shoes. It's different for every athlete, so they really have to kind of experiment and, and find out what feels comfortable, what feels like they can build into their rituals. So messing with this is really important. A deep breath can sometimes do it. Positive self-talk, a focal point, a bunch of different ways that, that players can release uh, negative thoughts. And the last thing is to refocus. And the refocus is really getting you back to the circle of control. So it's this little step outside of the circle of control, recognizing you're having negative thoughts, release those negative thoughts, and then going right back to the refocus, which is, again, the circle of control. So how do we practice this? Really, you can put it in, in your daily practice plan. So when guys are working off the tee, when you're having batting practice, you have a few pitches in there where they pretend like they took a strike right down the middle or they swung and missed or they fouled off that pitch that they really like. Something where the wheels are spinning a little bit on defense, a ground ball goes through their legs. We actually practice um, going through the three R's. So a ground ball goes through the legs. They step out of the circle for a little bit. They recognize if they're having negative thoughts. They release those negative thoughts. They throw down some dirt and they come back to their refocus. They come back to their circle of control. So it's really, really easy and really important to work it into practice plans. Um, guys need to go through this. They need to build a routine of it. Again, oftentimes we'll want guys to overcome mistakes in games, but we haven't practiced it. It's just like anything else. We need to drill home the practice part of this. So that's what the three R's are, and, and those are the ways that, that we can just put it into our practice plan, give it a couple minutes um, when you're doing your drill work, when you're doing your BP. I worked with a coach, and they would go through the three R's before the guy came in to, to take his batting practice when we were doing batting practice on the field. We'd have a circle of control station working through the C's of the circle of control, and then we'd also have a three R station where you're working through your routine um, of, of getting over mistakes. So those are a couple of different ways to do that. That's great. Um, I got one more question for you. I know we got to wrap up here, but if you could have one piece of advice for coaches out there, regardless of the level they're coaching at, uh, what do you think it'd be? Well, if I, if I only had one piece of advice to give coaches regarding the mental game, I think it would be to figure out what is really important to you and, and what you're going to focus on and bring to the table every practice, every game. I think a lot of times as coaches, we, we dive in real deep and we get into a lot of different stuff as far as the mental game goes, but then we don't stick with it. We don't bring it in our practice plans every day. We don't reiterate it in games. So whether it's the, the, the circle of control that you think is valuable or the three R's that you think is valuable or some mental imagery before every game or journaling before and after every game, 
find find whatever you think is is the most valuable tool for your athletes and stick with it stick with it every day every practice every game reiterate it um uh, otherwise the, the guys just don't buy into the mental game as much so i think i think if i had one piece of advice it'd be to find find the thing that's most important the thing that you value the most and make sure you're bringing it to every practice in every game thank you for listening to the thought force podcast 